0: Hello everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Casual Criminalist. I, as always, am your host, Simon, and not as always, we're trying something a little bit different in this episode. This is what I am calling a Casual Criminalist short, which, if you couldn't tell from the name, is a short version of the Casual Criminalist. I've had everyone's favorite scriptwriter Callum put together a short Casual Criminalist piece. Generally, these are pieces that I felt didn't quite have enough information to be flashed out into a into a full episode. So uh, we're starting with the nun's tale, Sister Virginia Maria. Uh just before we get into it, I will say that uh, if you are listening to this in its podcast form, hello there. Please do consider leaving a fantastic review for this podcast or a negative review if you just don't like it. But then why are you listening? <clears throat> also, if you are watching this on YouTube or wherever you get videos, Uh, then do consider smashing that like button. And let's just jump in, shall we? We all like a good story, even true crime fans. I think particularly true crime fans. I think the story is already makes these stories come alive. Does that make sense? The only difference is that the sort of romantic yarns that likely suit your depraved tastes aren't exactly fairy tales. Well, actually, they are like fairy tales, the original Blood and Guts versions. Oh yeah, fairy tales, like told by Disney? Way less gruesome than the- isn't the original Snow White? She's actually- she gets raped while she's sleeping by the king or something and has the baby and doesn't even remember. And I'm like, whoa, the old fairy tales? Way more rape, way more murder. And as Callum says, way more blood and guts, uh, rather than the Disney respins. Callum and I, same page. If that sounds like your idea of a proper romance, then you're in luck. Aww. In our very first Casual Criminalist short, we're going to be looking at one of the strangest, goriest, and most disgusting love stories from history. One of the most disgusting things I remember is something actually covered on a, another YouTube channel I run called Today I Found Out, where we covered the case of a man who basically makes like a model of this woman and then it has it's like made with her bones it is horrible and maybe we could cover it if people tell me simon cover the weird story about the man with his bones i will maybe that's a longer piece though anyway it takes place as many of the great love stories do in italy milan to be precise the year is 1575 and a local banking family has just added a newborn girl to their numbers. Her name was Mariana e Marino, and I apologize for my Italian pronunciation. I'm not Italian. Could you tell? Despite being from a wealthy family, little Mariana didn't have the easiest upbringing. Her mother died of the plague before she was old enough to understand, and her father, the cold and uncaring Earl of Monza, was largely absent as he tended to his investments around the continent. After a tumultuous upbringing in the care of her aunt, overshadowed by a long and unsuccessful lawsuit for her maternal inheritance, Mariana was shipped off to a nunnery at the age of 13. That was just the done thing back then in the day. If you couldn't be bothered with a kid, just send them to the clergy. They're no longer your problem. Despite the surprise twist in her life trajectory, Mariana's time as a servant of God was quite pleasant in the beginning. Her convent was actually in the town of Monza, a picturesque place just a short distance northeast of Milano. Mariana took on a new name after her consecration in 1591, picking the incredibly predictable Sister Virginia Maria, which must be the non-equivalent of John Smith, indeed. And for the rest of her teens, Sister Virginia had a pretty good lifestyle. She made friends easily, read often, and she became a well-liked political figure in Monza, known as a model nun. By the end of her holy career, however, she would be known for messing pretty much every aspect of her religious duties up in the worst ways imaginable. Why you ask? Well, when our heroine reached the tender age of 22. She fell in love. I'm very curious as to where this is going. <laughs> I mean, as as we know well from the Casual Criminalists, people who have difficult upspringings and are abandoned by their parents, or the, one of the parents dies, and then you're abandoned by the father. You know, I'd say that makes up a disproportionate number of the criminals we cover on this show. The object of her affections was a local Casanova called Giovanni Paolo Osio, who lived in a townhouse right next to the monastery. Pretty much an archetypal wealthy bad boy. Gian Paolo, I guess that's short for Giovanni, who knew, uh, had been accused of murdering a tax, cla- te- tax collector in the past. He was later pardoned, but still, this was not the sort of guy who the locals wanted their daughters going anywhere near. Yeah, I mean, normally when you describe a bad boy, it's like, I don't know, he drives a car that is too fast. <laughs> in this one, knows he's a murderer. Uh, Anyway, apparently he had grown tired of seducing his fellow aristocrats and sought more of a challenge, competing against the almighty himself for kicks. So he set his sights on the young sister after seeing her working at the girls' school attached to the convent, which he was apparently in the habit of watching from his window. It all started out innocently enough, with the two exchanging letters using a rope dropped down from one of the monastery windows. Eventually, though, they decided to take things to the next level. Being from a rich family, Sister Virginia had enough influence around town to bring a few of the other nuns onto her side, and Signor Osio's priest buddy, Father Aragon, also helped keep things under wraps why they had a blacksmith copy the keys to the doors and gian Paolo used them regularly to sneak in and spend the night with sister virginia so much for being a model nun <laughs> that went downhill quickly uh in case if any of our listeners aren't familiar at all with the catholic faith abstinence is basically the golden rule for monks and nuns look i don't know much about the catholic faith but i do know that nuns can't have sex that is like yeah it's one of the keys as callum says <laughs> Which is why Sister Virginia was thrown into such a crisis by her perfectly normal human behavior. I mean, yeah, I mean, being a nun, it doesn't seem like a normal human behavior. I mean, I don't imagine there are too many nuns watching this true crime show, but I mean, it is a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, nothing she's done so far warrants any condemnation, but it was the way she dealt with this inner t- wait, it definitely- v- sees. isn't condemnation even a religious word? It sounds like she should, would definitely be condemned by God. She's done the least nunny thing of all nunny things, other than maybe murder. And maybe we're getting to murder. But it was the way she dealt with this inner turmoil that won her a place in the history books under the chapter, Oh my god, that's fing (laughs) disgusting. See, Sister Virginia decided that the best way to conquer her bodily urges wasn't prayer. It was, I mean, and there's no sugarcoating it here, she ate Gianparlo's feces. Yes, her Clockwork Orange-esque logic was that if she could overpower her lust with pure total disgust, then she would be able to avoid sleeping with him ever again. Well, obviously, she's never seen two girls one <laughs> I should add that modern therapists do not recommend this method for getting over your ex. No, <laughs> shit. Uh, the tried and true method of silently weeping yourselves to sli- yourself to sleep for months is much more effective than literal shit munching, which is precisely what Sister Virginia discovered. Her methods were as ineffective as they were insane. Yeah, I mean, unquestionably both of those things. Like, what is... Although I don't know. Maybe the shit... She's like, yeah, no. Now he disgusts me because I know what his shit tastes like um but still this is not this is not right definitely not right also i mean can't you're gonna get i've seen that human centipede movie which is very bizarre and horrible but i'm pretty sure you can get some terrible infections from eating other people's shit and this is what the 16th century like there were there's not antibiotics for hundreds of years (laughs) you're kind of screwed if you get an infection Anyway, moving on. So the lovers continued on with their trysts, and Sister got significantly more weird. Uh, And Sister Virginia ended up falling pregnant twice. In 1602, her first baby was stillborn. Then in 1603, she gave birth to a healthy daughter who was snuck off to live in the house of Giampaolo and officially recognized as his illegitimate kid. Isn't that sounds like an oxymoron? Officially illegitimate. Uh, A few years later, by this point, the townspeople basically knew who the mother was but it was only discussed in hushed whispers. Perhaps because of these extra scandalous developments, the consciousness, uh, the consciences of their co-conspirators eventually decided to stir up trouble. In 1606, one of the other nuns decided she'd have it, had enough, possibly to save her own skin from God's wrath. She threatened to drag the whole affair out of the shadows, which would likely have had some pretty severe consequences back in 17th century Italy. I'm sorry, 17th century, but still were hundreds of years away from antibiotics did i say 17th century okay yeah this story started in the 1500s late 1500s and moved into the 1600s it's all making sense uh but you see this will likely involve chains and fire or something along those lines yeah i mean use your imagination (laughs) but see prison wasn't exactly giampaolo's thing so he silenced the nun in the only way he could he killed her with a crowbar to the head and had two of the other nuns hide her in the chicken coop. Sister Virginia wasn't just an innocent bystander either. She was responsible for making sure that all the other nuns kept their mouths shut, lest they meet the same fate. Suddenly, the monastery was looking a lot more like a prison block than a house of God. So even in a house of God, the same old rules apply. Snitches, snitches, guest stitches. Or murdered and put in a chicken coop. I don't know why they decided to put in the chicken coop. I heard if you put them, in, put them in the pig pen, wasn't there some famous mobster who got rid of all the bodies by feeding them to the pigs? Or is this just some movie reference that I'm not going to get because as everyone will always point out in the comments that I, I have not seen movies. I've seen Goodfellas. I think. I've not seen The Godfather. But someone was definitely feeding them to bodies to pigs because they're really good at destroying bodies. There you go useful facts for the future. But the two lovers were on edge now, unsatisfied that their threats of violence would be enough to cover their tracks. So not only the snitch got stitches, but also the poor blacksmith who had forged the keys. Gianpaolo even tried hiring an assassin to shoot the town herbalist who had sold the nun some medicines used for old-timey abortions. Lovely. It's likely that adding to their body count harmed their case rather than helped it. Because word slowly made it to the top brass in Milan. The governor himself. In 1607, he ordered an investigation into the murders and surrounding rumours, which led to the arrest of Gian Paolo, sister Virginia, and all of those who had aided them in their decade-long binge of sin. Yeah, I mean now you've got a lot more people to kill to cover this up. It's getting to get to the point where it's not really gonna work out. Many of them were subjected to, or threatened with, the aforementioned chains and fire, tortured until they spun the same gruesome yarn which I've just outlined for you, albeit with far more screaming and repenting than my fashion. Gianpaolo caught a lucky break as he was able to escape from captivity, avoiding the death penalty, which was dished out to him in his absence. But what the courts couldn't carry out, one of his friends managed to do instead. His host, Ed stabbed to death in his basement. His head was taken to the local governor, while his body was walled into a niche in the palace, What's with hiding bodies in weird places, where his headless ghost is said to wander to this day, presumably looking for women to hit on like a spectral joey from Friends. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> And our, uh, he would say it in like old Italian, but you know. And our anti-heroine, the nun with the questionable dietary choices, was sentenced to life behind bricks. Yes, bricks, not bars. She was to spend the rest of her days in a tiny bricked-off room, which was just three point three meters square. Uh, her defence in court was basically that Satan made her do it. She didn't quite phrase it like that, but the gist was that evil forces had placed unescapable urges inside her, so she wasn't acting on her own volition. That's a shaky defense at best, but probably held a lot more water back in the olden time religious courts than it would nowadays. Yeah, I don't imagine many people are in court nowadays being like, God made me do it. The devil got inside me. (laughs) It's like, all right. So after serving 13 years of a sentence, Sister Virginia was judged to be sufficiently repentant and reformed to return to her holy service, although who knows what 13 years of solitary confinement did to her already quirky psychology. At any rate, she became known in godly circles as a model of repentance and wrote a series of letters instructing young nuns on how to deal with their earthly impulses. It probably didn't have to do with... She she probably didn't recommend just eating shit. (laughs) That didn't work out for her at all. These now sit alongside other classics such as O.J. Simpson's Guide to Marital Bliss and Charles Bronson's Practical An- Anger Management in the Do As I Say, Not As I Do self-help section. So there you have it, a story of lust, murder, love, and some disgusting other stuff which I don't want to bother repeating. But although she's not the most sympathetic character, I think it's worth asking, to what extent was Sister Virginia herself a victim here? A Humble Crime Podcast isn't the first bit of media to explore the idea. In his 1940 novel, The Betrothed – wow, we're going back – Italian writer Alessandro Manzoni made a case in her defense. His literary version of the famous nun dropped all of the fecal details and portrayed her instead as a mistreated and innocent girl starved of parental affection and manipulated by a sadistic playboy. I mean, she was definitely starved of of affection, and it does seem like she was manipulated by the sadistic playboy who just wanted to seduce a nun – So do we buy that? Well, not really, I don't think. In reality, Virginia got her hands far more dirty in more ways than one than the sanitized account would have us believe. And with that final judgment, I'll let you go so you can try and get the images from the past 10 minutes out of your head. Peace be with you. Amen. Very nice ending, Callum. That is the first ever episode of a casual criminalist short. Let me know what you think of it. Do you like these short ones? Obviously. These are just in addition to the regular longer episodes where I found something on the internet and I was like, let's do that, but it wasn't enough material. It's Casual Criminalist Short. Please let me know what you think. If you're listening to this as a podcast, leave a review. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button, all of that other stuff. Thanks for watching. Or listening, if you're listening.